0: Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, meet me in Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28 is where we'll be in God's Word together this morning. Uh, as, as Fabian mentioned, I'm Evan. Thank you. Uh, one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and uh, glad to uh, be with you this morning in God's Word, especially if you are new to our church or newer. Uh, to our church. Really, really thankful for your presence here uh, this morning. Would love a chance uh, to meet you. Uh, after service, I'm trying to make my way to the Connect table, which you might have passed uh, on your way in. I'll try to make my way there. I would love opportunity for an introduction uh, as, as you're on your way out. Um, if this is your first time with us, uh, last week we, we started a sermon series in, in the book of Genesis entitled Revived by Grace. Revived by Grace, where we're taking some time to look at the life of Jacob uh, in the book of Genesis. I don't know how familiar you are with the Bible and its stories, um, but the life of Jacob could be a a disorienting starting place. Uh, it, It could be disorienting because when you look at Jacob... Uh, besides all the ancient Near Eastern references and these stories, Beersheba and Haran and so forth, and un- unusual practices that you might see, like building altars and visions of God and angels, all that aside, uh, Jacob's life uh, is, is messy. Uh, and that can be perplexing. Uh, from, from beginning to almost the end, Jacob is just really messy, And you might look at Jacob and wonder, what is the direction of his life? He's lying, he's cheating, he's stealing, he's betraying. It's not neat to look at him, uh, and that could raise some questions of why uh, his life is worth looking at. But I love looking at stories like Jacob's uh, because it helps me to see the true essence of God's grace. As the old song goes, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Uh, The life of Jacob is the life of a wretch. Uh, And I love it. Uh, I love it because it helps me to see how far the Lord is willing to go to show forth his love. Because only people... Uh, that are wretched, only people that are sinful, lost, broken, only those kind of people need God's grace, and therefore only wretched people can know God's grace. It's important to know that because I believe that that's me and you, and I believe Jacob's life will help us to see God's grace even when life is going in the wrong direction. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as we read Genesis chapter 28, verse 10 through 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place... Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you that your mercy endures forever. You have been, you are, and you will be good. And so I thank you that in your goodness, you give us your word. Thank you that when we open your word, you open your mouth and you you speak. So Lord, I ask that as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. His name was Roy Regals. He played football for the University of California, Berkeley. In 1929, he was their captain. On this particular year, the Golden Bears made it all the way to the Rose Bowl, going head-to-head with Georgia Tech. The game was scoreless early on in the second quarter when Georgia Tech had the ball in their possession. On the first play from the scrimmage, the ball was fumbled, and Roy Regals immediately went for it and, and grabbed hold. He made a mad dash to the end zone. Immediately, the crowd of fans erupts in shouts as Regals ran over 60 yards. The only resistance he felt was a player coming up on his heels that he assumed was one of the Georgia Tech players. But then he realized that this player was running up behind him and screaming at him. And he had a familiar voice. Regals looked back and realized that it was one of his own teammates running behind him. And as he is running and getting closer and closer to him, Regals starts to hear what he is trying to say to him. Ben Long, his teammate, was running up and he was screaming, You're going the wrong Somehow, in all the excitement uh, over getting the fumble, uh, Regals got turned around and he sprinted toward his own team's goal. Of course, by the time he realized what he had done, the other team had caught up to them, and as he said later, that it felt like the whole team jumped on him. The Rose Bowl game ended with California Golden Bears losing to the Georgia Yellow Jackets 8 to seven, and Roy Regals was infamously nicknamed Wrong Way Regals, because after all his talent, after all his efforts, it didn't amount to anything, and he is now best known for going the wrong way. When we look at the life of Jacob, we see a man who spent the beginning of his life at least going the wrong way. Last week, Pastor Daniel introduced us to a man with a complex story. He comes from a family of dysfunction. He was given a name that could be translated cheater or trickster, and he certainly lived up to the name as he spent his best efforts lying, cheating, and stealing. He has dishonored his father, Isaac. He has dishonored his brother, Esau. He was going about life all the wrong way until he gets to this point in his life in chapter 28. In chapter 28, Jacob has fled his home. More specifically, he's fleeing from his brother, Esau, who is intent on killing his conniving brother for stealing his birthright. He flees to gain safety and also to find a wife. And he's on his way to Haran to to find safe haven with his uncle. And he's traveling some 500 miles from Beersheba. And somewhere along the way, he lays down at a certain place. We don't know exactly where, except that it's a certain place. And in this place, he rests his head on a stone and begins to sleep. And it is at this moment that Jacob is confronted about the direction of his life. For perhaps the first time, he is about to realize that he has been going the wrong way. I wonder if you know what it's like to be going the wrong way. To to see the cascading effects of decisions you have made in your life and you have to say, this is not the direction that I envisioned for myself. I didn't think I would end up here jacob had wealth he had riches he had family he was residing in the lord's provision but it wasn't enough for him and after all his his schemes to get everything he wanted he ends up with far less than where he started and now he's in effect exiled jeopardized everything He's so despondent that he does not have a bed to lay his body, nor a pillow to lay his head. He's got to use a stone. And it's in that place that he sleeps. And in that place, he sees. He sees three things. He sees the Lord's work, he sees the Lord's promise, and he sees the Lord's invitation. First, he, he sees the Lord's work. In verse 12, Jacob sees what many translations say is a ladder. What's probably more accurate is a, is a staircase. Uh, so, so Jacob saw a stairway to heaven. Uh, yeah, 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 uh, 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 if, you, if, you, if you get the reference. And, and it was going step by step. See, I'm not talking about Led Zeppelin. I'm talking about the OJs, all right? The, we, we a church that wants to be cross-cultural, you need to go home and look up the OJs. All right, Gerald Levert, Uh, and on this stairway, he sees angels descending and ascending. The significance of this image is that Jacob, probably for the first time in his life, gets to see that the Lord is working in the world. (laughs) That that's what's happening on this stairway. The angels, messengers of God are being dispatched and deployed in, into the world and bringing reports back. This beautiful sight is setting Jacob up. It's setting him up because when you are convinced that the Lord is working in the world, you should be able to let go and see that the Lord is actually the one that's been holding you together all along. Jacob spent so much of his time, so much of his energy trying to claw what he wanted, to, to get after what he wanted, and now he's being confronted with the futility of his efforts. There is a king. There is a kingdom. There is an ancient of days that is active in the world. And this king, that, that he knows exactly what is going on. He, he sees all, and he is working toward his expected ends. And that's good news for someone that thinks that they have thwarted the purposes of God by their mistakes. That's good news when we look and see all the darkness, when we look and see the nights of the world, when we look and see that there is no clear direction. It's a good reminder to know that the Lord is always working. Even when we slumber and we sleep, he never does. He's always working in the world, even in the lowest of moments. But this stairway shows us That even in profound failure and profound setback, the Lord is never defeated. He's never distracted. He is working in the world. But he doesn't stop there. No. Jacob also sees the Lord's promise. This dream continues. Jacob sees angels going up and down on the stairway, and he also sees the Lord. And scholars debate how to translate where the Lord was from the original Hebrew language. Was the Lord standing above, on top of the stairway, or, or beside Jacob, as some of our translations might say? There is some questioning, but what we do know is that the Lord was present with Jacob. At one of Jacob's lowest moments, the Lord shows up and speaks to Jacob. Did you notice how the conversation unfolds in verse 13 through verse 15? There is not a single word about Jacob's actions to this point. Not a single word about his conduct. There is not a single word of disdain for Jacob's misdeeds. Not a single indictment. The Lord was certainly well within his rights to call out Jacob and heap judgment on Jacob's head, but he doesn't do any of that. And it might be implicit when he says, I'm the God of Isaac. It might trigger some shame and fears like, well, this is an awkward moment. But but he doesn't get at it. But instead of God calling Jacob out for what he has done, he draws Jacob's attention to what he will do. He makes him a promise. He makes the same promise that he made to to Abraham and Isaac. It's it's this covenant of grace that we see interwoven throughout God's story toward his people. The promise of people and land and God's presence. There's so much that could be said in these verses. And I believe that the Lord says this to Jacob because he is helping Jacob switch from focusing inward to focusing outward. Jacob, instead of focusing on receiving a blessing, I want to give you a vision of being a blessing. All the families of the earth will be blessed by you. I'm grafting you into the work that I am doing in the world, and there is nothing impressive about you, that there's nothing in your resume that has given you the right for this wonderful blessing, and yet I choose you. There is nothing in Jacob's current life that would give any indication that that's where his life is headed. He's not even married to this point, but he's going to bless the families of the earth. He's going to expand out into the world. That's what God sees. God knows Jacob better than his circumstances do. God knows Jacob better than his sin and failure do. It reminds me of what St. Augustine writes when when he says that God is always closer to us than we are to ourselves. That's true because he sees us better than we see ourselves. And in this moment, the Lord is giving Jacob a better vision for his life. You are not just a cheater. You you are not forgotten. The, The worst parts of your story are not the realest parts of your story, I promise you. I have grace for your shortcomings. I wonder if you need to hear that today. That the worst parts of your story are not the realest parts of your story. That, that there is a God who sees beyond all of that and he gives you his grace. I love how Paul Tripp describes grace. He, he says, Grace means we are not held to our worst moment or cursed by our worst decision. Grace, grace. and Jacob's failure, in his humiliation, in the mess that he is in, in the wrong direction, he's clearly headed, the Lord sees beyond all of that and calls him to more. There's more I have in store for you. And I love how the Lord ties the bow in all of this in verse 15. He says, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you, Jacob. You are not alone. Even if your failures would say otherwise, you are not alone. I am with you and I will stay with you until I do exactly what I want to do in and through you. There is nothing that you can do that can overextend past my grace. Your shortcomings will not outlast my promises. My grace is enough. I wonder if someone here needs to hear that today. God's grace is enough. Jacob sees the Lord's work, he he sees the Lord's promise, and lastly he he sees the Lord's invitation. We get to verse 16 and we see Jacob's response. He, he, He wakes up from this awesome dream and he responds with recognition of the Lord's presence and his ignorance. You see it in verse 17, surely Verse Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And then verse 17, Jacob was afraid. He's, he's responding to the Lord's invitation. How, how is that? Because the Lord's revelation is his invitation. When the Lord reveals himself, he does so as an invitation to bow in worship. He he does not reveal himself just for a spectacle. He, He wants worship and adoration. He wants fear and awe. He wants his people to behold him. And Jacob does. And for the sake of time, we didn't read the rest of the chapter, but we would see Jacob responding in worship. He builds an altar to the Lord. When God reveals, he invites. Come lay your burdens down. Come lay your life down at my feet. So what does this have to do with us some thousands of years later? to, To see the Lord working and promising and inviting, how should we respond? Well, where in your life has the Lord been working but you just don't know it? Is it in your job? Is it in your health? Is it in your family? Where is it that the Lord has always been working, but you just don't know it yet? You know, often when I'm, when I'm talking with some of my, my skeptical friends, uh, and they, they know about stories like this, uh, they'll, they'll often say something like, now, Evan, if I would just have something like that. I would believe in God. I would follow your God. I promise. Give me a dream. Give me a a pillar of fire. Give me a cloud. Give me a burning bush. Give me any of that. I'll take all of it. Give me an angel. And I'll do it. I'll follow God. And I usually have two responses uh, when they say that. Uh, First, I say, no, you wouldn't. No, no, you wouldn't. Uh, When when, when people say that to me, it it reminds me of my five-year-old daughter when she asked me for a puppy. She says, I I promise, Daddy, I'll take care of it if you get me a puppy. Just a bold-faced (laughs) lie. She she can't take care of her room, she can't take care of her own life, but she gonna take care of an animal. No, she's not. And I told the same lie to my dad. And, and, And you know you wouldn't. Because when you look in the Bible and you see these people got these miracles, they didn't believe. (laughs) And so you don't need another revelation. You don't need another miracle for God to be great and greatly to be praised. He's already done more than enough. He is worthy right now before he does another thing. The second thing I often say to my friends uh, is that uh, you, you want another revelation, you want another miracle, uh, but you don't realize that you actually already have the best and most convincing revelation of all time. That, that Jacob would, would actually be jealous of us. All the Old Testament characters would, would actually be, be jealous of the revelation that God has given us that he did not give to them. <laughs> We, we see echoes of it all throughout the Old Testament. We see echoes of it in this passage. The, the Old Testament is constantly whispering about this revelation where the New Testament shouts and proclaims it full-throatedly. This revelation is a place. Did, did you notice in the passage how often the word place is used? Verse 11, he he came to a certain place, taking one of the stones of the place. He laid down in that place. Verse 16, Jacob wakes up and says, surely the Lord is in this place. Verse 17, how awesome is this place? And he names the place, the house of God, the gate of heaven, Bethel, if you keep reading the chapter. Place mattered greatly to the people in the old testament it was a sign of god's faithfulness and love god promised place to abraham and isaac and here jacob he continued to promise to people like moses and joshua but then we get to the new testament and we see a shift on how place is talked about in the new testament we see jesus and Jesus has been revealed as the coming king, the Messiah. He, he, he just, we just finished celebrating the Advent season where, where the people in darkness have seen a great light. He is the ultimate revelation. He is the fulfillment of God's promises. All the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And do you know what Jesus said about place? John one fifty one, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Does that sound familiar to anyone? He's saying, I am the place. John chapter 4, we see Jesus interacting with a woman at Jacob's well. She she asks Jesus, where is the proper place to worship? Jesus responds to her, it will not be in Jerusalem or Samaria, but the hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, he's saying, I am the place. Jesus is the revelation. He is the great miracle. He is the one who has come. He is the revelation of the place where you should find your home. As the old Negro spiritual says, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder, and you are to rise, shine, and give God glory, O oh soldiers of the cross. We ought to enthrone him with our worship. Because the place of God's promise, the, the gate of heaven is no longer found in a what it's found in a who so in Christ we we can see the Lord's work his promises and his invitation by his revelation but the question is have you received him have you received this miracle because wherever we are Whichever way we are going, the call remains the same for all of us to behold the awesome place who is the revealed son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. So I spent most of last week in prison. Don't worry, I didn't commit a crime. Um, I was was teaching a week-long intensive uh, at a North Carolina area uh, prison. Uh, I had the privilege of of teaching a class uh, of incarcerated men some principles and practices for crisis intervention uh, as they seek to care for fellow inmates uh, that are in constant crisis. Uh, One of the practices, I went through with them uh, was Lectio Divina. Uh, If you're not familiar with Lectio Divina, I encourage you to stop by our website's spiritual practices page uh, to learn more about that. Uh, So so I did Lectio Divina uh, with these men on on this uh, passage. And after I did the exercise of reading the passage slowly and repeatedly, uh, one of my students was noticeably impacted by the exercise, and he, he raised his hand and asked, uh, Dr. Marbury, why did you choose that passage? Uh, and, and I told him that uh, the biggest reason was because I was preaching it on something I needed some help. I was like, I need some help. My God's great. Help me, Jesus. Um, he uh, paused, and, and he said, I'm so thankful we did this exercise through this passage because I think a lot of times being in prison, it's easy to feel forgotten and thrown away. I've been in prison for, for decades for terrible things I've done, but I'm so glad to know that Jesus is the gate of heaven and that even when I feel like I don't have access to anybody or anything else, I know I have access to him. And then he said... Uh, It feels like when you eat a peppermint, I feel this freshness growing inside of me. I love that. Oh, that this would be true of all of Christ's followers. Oh, that that would be true. That we would be so grateful that no matter where we are, we have access to the true and living God. I pray that we would join with Jacob in saying, how awesome is this place? How awesome is this revelation? The awesome gift that the Lord holds out for all of us is that no matter where we've been or where we seem to be headed, we can gain access to his presence. And we can find that that freshness to our souls. May it be so by the grace of God. Amen. Amen. Will you pray with me? Oh God, our Father, great is your faithfulness, there is no shadow of changing with you. You change not, your compassions fail not. As you have been, you forever will be. Great is your faithfulness. That's so Lord God. Would you help us help us to see you and your hand in our lives? Would you help us to go the direction that you would have for us? Thank you that what we do does not define who we are. But you show up again and again in the highs and the lows. Just let us see your faithfulness afresh. Would you refresh our souls to believe this yet again? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.